Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 36, How James Wade Writes. I had so much fun interviewing someone who is so aligned with the mission and philosophy of how writers write. In a lot of ways, I felt as if I was interviewing a philosopher writer, someone who writes these beautiful stories, but also deeply engages with the writing life. James is someone who has such a rooting in himself and in his writing that when we ended the interview, I felt some of that same energy transfer to me. I'm sure after listening to this interview, you will feel exactly the same way. I want to say thank you again to James for such a fun interview. And now, without any further ado, here is the interview with James Wade. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I am your host, Brian, and today's guest is debut novelist James Wade. James is an award-winning fiction author with 20 short stories published in various literary journals and magazines. His debut novel, All Things Left Wild, was published on June 16th, 2020 from Blackstone Publishing. Two quick things on that novel. First one, I was lucky enough to read an advanced copy of James's book, and it is absolutely wonderful. Like, Cormac McCarthy fans will be like, this is similar soul here. Like it has um, this beautiful take on the Western genre. I loved it. Second thing, All Things Left Wild is like up there for title of the year for me. I love that title. Anyways, um, James, welcome. I had a little space out there. I was like trying to find my, my space where I was at. James, welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. And I'm happy to be here. Great. So, um, I'm going to start in a different direction today. T- today uh, is the last, I think, the last recording I will do in New York City before uh, myself and my family move west. We're moving west from New York to Denver. What? Which feels crazy. Um, I kind of identify as an East Coaster, as a New Yorker. So I'm shedding my, you know, Eastern hipster writer persona. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going west, like go west, young man, into this new Western writer persona. And I was so happy to talk to you because I was like, James lives in Austin. He is a Western writer. He wrote a Western. And so I want to ask you, this is the most broad, abstract question possible, but what tips do you have for an East Coaster heading west as a Western writer? Like, like what comes to mind as I say that? Oh man. Uh, you know, I think, I think now it's just don't expect it to be all that different. Right. I think there was a long time in, a, in our history where the East and the West were so, so, you know, drastically different, but I don't know, you live in New York, you're moving to Denver. It's going to be smaller. You know, you won't have to wait in line as much. Uh, things might not cost quite as much, but Denver's a big city, you know, they, we've got electricity out here and everything. Um, <laughs> no, it's, 
you know, it'd be interesting because I think maybe we should reconvene after you've been in Denver for a little bit and you can tell me what kind of some of the differences are between New York and Denver in terms of the literary community because, uh, you know, I'm plugged in with the, we have the Mountains and Plains Independent Booksellers Association, which is kind of our regional. It includes Colorado and Texas. So, so welcome. You're, you're a part of that region. <laughs> Thank um, you. But, uh, but yeah, we have a great literary community out here and uh, it does fo- tend to focus a lot on uh, Southwestern uh, novels, but there's some, you know, some tremendous writers in, uh, in the Denver area. Uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what you think about it. See, I, I feel like if I moved to New York, I would be the one that, that was expecting all the change and all right. the, you know, the different scene up there. Uh, I visited my, my uh, agent and the Trident Media Group in New York. And of course they have the swanky downtown Manhattan right. offices. And, uh, you know, for a, for a country kid, it's, it was pretty, <laughs> it was pretty overwhelming. You know, I, uh, I, I felt like I was, a, you know, going to the big publishing kingdom and everything. So uh, that being said, I don't know. There's, I think you'll, I think you'll enjoy it. And I think, uh, I think Denver from what I've seen uh, and my wife and I have visited there a few times, they have a really good, they have, they have salons, they have, you know, poetry <laughs> readings, they have the yeah. whole, you know, they have a great literary community there. So yeah. I, I bet you'll fit in just fine. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really excited. I've, I've looked up a bunch of groups and for any listeners out there who live in Denver uh, or, or any of those areas. I've, I've actually lived in Denver just a little bit for my business life, but um, re- reach out to me and let me know like what are the things I need to be plugged into. I've seen some really cool, promising places. Um, but, it, it, and I'm kind of rabbit holing here and whatever, it's, you know, my show, I get to do what I want. But uh, right. <laughs> I started to think about like, like, do it, can I like wear like, different clothes now like like am i able to like because I, I wear black almost every day black on black like sure. six days a week seven days a week and maybe i'll wear white maybe or like gray you know that's it and i'm like do i get to wear like flannels now like can oh, i like yeah. you know can i get like a big belt buckle you know <laughs> like how far can i push this thing into this new persona like i, I don't know like it's a pretty uh it's a brave new world it's a brave new world you can completely reinvent yourself if you want, if you want to. If you yeah, want to, I think it's time. I feel ready. So, okay, back to writing. So, um, I'm so happy to have you on because I feel like, you know, I, I try and do a really big blend. I try and have authors who have written one gazillion books, and I try and have authors who are writing their debut novel, and uh, both have such amazing perspectives and important perspectives to share. One of the things I always love to dig into, especially with somebody like yourself, you're too two weeks out from your first novel being published is you've climbed the proverbial writing mountain. <laughs> you know, so many people think, man, if I could just get that first novel published, that would be amazing. And so I'm curious as you stand on the top of this mountain and you look down at the incredible journey that you've been on, what are a couple of the things that stick out and you're like, you know what, this was, this was a big deal in this journey. This changed me this made me grow. I didn't know this. Like, what are a few of those points that stick out to you? That's a good question. And I think that, I think I'll start by saying that as I stand on this mountain and look back, I've realized that uh, I've only made the first hill. Right. And so that I remember not that long ago uh, going, man, if I could just finish a manuscript, right. If I could just get one manuscript finished, 
I'd be so happy. And then, and then maybe I, maybe I have to self-publish. Right. And, but then I'll have, I'll have that one book release party with family and friends and uh, I'll feel so accomplished and you know, all this stuff. But then you get close to the end of that manuscript and you think, well, maybe if I could just get an agent. Right. Um, and I would say, uh, to circle back to your initial question, getting an agent was probably one of the biggest uh, in terms of the professional, you know, moments. I think that because that really uh, solidified that there was a chance that this might get sold. And of course, then that becomes the next mountain is, oh, if I could just get a book deal. Okay, you get, you know, then we had some interest for some publishers. And I thought, well, maybe if I could just get a multi book deal, and you get a multi book deal, and you go, well, if I could just sell X amount of copies, and, and I just have the feeling that that's just going to continue to push out. And it's, it's something I, that I'm actually trying to work on, right? Trying to mm-hmm. kind of live in the moment and appreciate that a little more. Um, and so that's, you know, that's something for that I would say to anybody that's starting out is try to try to appreciate each of those moments. Um, instead of trying to push for you want to push forward, you want to have goals. Uh, but you also don't want to get so bogged down that you're not enjoying each moment as it comes. Uh, a good friend of mine, Owen Edgerton, uh, he's a he's a good guy, great author. Uh, he won the Penn Award uh, a couple years ago for his novel, Hollow. It's a beautiful book. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, I said, oh, and oh my gosh, you know, congratulations. You won the Penn Award. Does this, does, do you now feel like you finally made it, right? Does, does this legitimize everything that you've been working towards? And he said, you know, it did for a few minutes. And then I just couldn't help but think, well, it's not a Pulitzer, you know? And mm-hmm. so that's, and I think that there's a lot of that mentality, not just with writers, but, you know, with folks in general, right? They're always, we always believe that our, that our life is about to be great, right? If we could just do this one thing, then life would be awesome. If we could just uh, accomplish this one goal, then our career would be awesome or our relationship would be awesome. And uh, a lot of times that pulls us away from the moment. And so uh, as, a, as a new writer and a young writer, I've been really trying to focus on living in the moment and and I fail a lot, you know, because I'm constantly kind of, like you said, the, the book came out uh, on the 16th. So we're less than two weeks, um, you know, from when it, from when it came out and the reviews are coming in and there's all this stuff. And I'm, and I want to both experience that and distance myself from it at, at the same time. Um, but I think, uh, so that's just kind of, that's kind of a side note. Uh, but to answer your question, I think getting an agent was a huge, thing because man those those guys they help you so much right they don't get paid until you get paid so you know they they work really hard for you and uh and they just open a lot of doors certainly that i didn't have uh you know there are a ton of new writers who have connections in the literary world be it through mfa programs or uh just you know being uh in certain places in the country that, that are these literary uh you know hot spots but uh but I did not have that. And so I literally knew, you know, I had no favors to call in. I didn't know who to ask, you know, to look at my stuff. And, uh, and so it was just really a, a godsend that, that I was able to land an agent who was willing to say, okay, and here's how we take our first steps, you know, cause I needed, yeah. I needed a lot of handholding. Uh, yeah. you know, I think a lot of new writers are not completely, uh, familiar with the way the industry works and, you know, just kind of what a writing career looks like. They, yeah. they may know a lot about writing, but not a lot about publishing. And then that was kind of where I came in is I had no idea, uh, you know, the, the steps to take and how this was all going to pan out. And so that was, I think getting an agent was probably the single most uh, important thing. Not that you have to have an agent to be a writer, but it just certainly something that really helped me. Yeah. Let's, let's pause for a second. Cause I want to go in two different directions. I want to talk about 
Um, one incredibly underserved topic on the podcast, largely because my belief is that it's served very well in other places, is the question of like, what does it take to get an agent? Okay. Um, that's covered, I feel like, extensively in the writing world. <laughs> sure. um, if you Google that, there's probably 10 million results in Google. Um, I do want to hear about your journey into that though. But before we get there, I want to rewind back a little bit because you talked about a really, uh, something that's really close to my heart. Um, and like you, I've had to learn a lot about this idea of enjoying and noticing sure. each moment, good or bad. And, and then especially taking a moment to breathe in the accomplishment. And so, you know, you talked a little bit about this idea of slowing down and falling out of the if, if then isms, you know what I mean? If I get an agent, then, and if then, and I'm wondering, like, from your perspective, you talked about this a little bit, but what's like the antidote to that? Like, how, how is it, how is it writers and we're all people as well, um, can escape from that treadmill to be like, I won a pen award, but it wasn't a Pulitzer. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I think just in, it's interesting because this is one of the many things that I equate with like writing and life. Right. Um, and I think that a lot of the same things that you would hear about from maybe like a life coach or something would, would also apply to, to writing. I try to meditate uh, when I can, because that's, that's something that forces you to, to stop and to be still. Um, and, you know, some sessions are better than others. Sometimes I just can't turn my brain off and that's okay. Uh, you know, that's just, it's all about the discipline and, and the practice and, and forcing yourself to, uh, to calm down a little bit. But the thing that's specific to the writing portion of that is one of the things that I always said when I started writing um, and still hold to is that it's, it's not about being published. It's not about selling books. Um, it, it really is about the writing process, right? There's something that's, that's magical and beautiful about that. Something very therapeutic. Um, and it's something that I've, that I love to do and would do it even if I wasn't published, even if I wasn't getting paid, you know, obviously maybe I couldn't do it as much cause I wouldn't have as much time, but uh, but it's something that I, that will never not be a part of me. And so if I focus on the process, um, and so if, if I can't turn my mind off, then I'll try to direct my mind, try to turn it to, okay, well, maybe not the next goal or accomplishment, but the next project, right? Like what's the next, instead of worrying so much about what, how this novel's doing, uh, let's, let's look at the next novel that we're writing or the, you know, the next idea for a novel that we have. Um, because at the end of the day, whether you're successful or not, or whether your career has ups and downs, the one constant is going to be the writing. Um, and so I kind of use that as, um, you know, a base to return to. And then what's, what gets a little complicated is when you do have the ups and downs. Right. If you if you get an agent or you get a publishing deal or you get a good review, you want to enjoy that. But you also have to strike a balance. Right. You don't want to you don't want to give over too much to that joy and either a start believing the good things they say about you or uh, or b get distracted from the work. So 
how do you pull yourself back, right? Like, how do you, how do you say, okay, well, this is a great review or this is a terrible review. Well, either way you want to go back to the middle, right? Mm -hmm. And so I always talk about balance in writing, balance in life. You don't want to get too high. You don't want to get too low. And there are folks who disagree with that because they say, well, the lows are going to happen anyway. So you might as well celebrate the highs. And I think that that, I think that makes a ton of sense. But for me personally, I need to be a little more even keel. And if I get too high, it makes the low that much worse, right. you know, and some people say that's a, maybe a pessimistic view. Um, it's not that I uh, expect or, or anticipate that bad things are going to happen, but I certainly uh, want to be realistic and, and understand that bad things can happen. Good mm -hmm. things can happen. Um, and no matter which way it goes, because often it will go both ways. Uh, I'm just going to try to stay in the middle of that and just keep writing, keep writing, keep meditating, keep being me. Uh, and that's, and that's it. And that's all you can do. And like I mentioned earlier, I fail at that all the time. So it's, <laughs> so it's really important to kind of forgive yourself a little bit. Right, right. Uh, if you catch yourself, uh, you know, kind of straying off the path, so to speak, you just got to be kind to yourself and, and, and just try again tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I, what I hear as you're saying that what I took away from like my interpretation of what you're saying is there's a degree of setting your goals, like setting the goalposts. I talk about this a lot, but setting your goals on something that is within relatively within your sphere of control. Sure. Right. Because, you know, I, I, you know, coach a lot of writers and, uh, you were like, it's a way a life coach. I happen to have done my entire life coaching, uh, like training and gone through that whole curriculum. So I was like, yeah, no, that's, there you go. Uh, <laughs> but, but what, what I hear a lot is this idea that there's something external to actually writing that will make us happy. And I think, I think we do this a lot with a lot of things and I don't want to get like too esoteric and like down into the weeds on this. But I think as people, a lot of times we tend to believe that there are things outside of our um, self, right? Outside of our beliefs or, um, you know, internal emotions, internal wiring that can make us feel happy because we can't do mm -hmm. it for ourselves. And I think in the writing life, because it is something we do so privately, but then send it out into the world. It's so easy to think if the world approves of it, I must be good. And if the world doesn't approve of it, I must be bad. And, um, I think that's a hard, that's a hard thing to continue to write, continue to write knowing you're going to send this out somewhere or eventually somebody else is going to read it, continue to write knowing someone else will read it, but not have the value be in their opinion. Right. Something I, that's right. so two, two points there because you're absolutely right. I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, one, the, the external factors, the things we can't control. That's, you know, that's like what I was saying. We always, you know, that's where this whole mindfulness movement kind of came right. from, right? Is right. we're always going, well, you know, next year is going to be so much better because this, this, and this will have happened. Or if I could reach this goal, um, and you really forget to, you know, live in the moment and, you know, and enjoy, uh, you know, each day, but then also, um, to your point about, uh, sending your work out in the world, I, I tell young writers this all the time writing is such a brave thing because, mm -hmm. because when you sit down, even though, like you said, it is a very solo act. When you sit down and write something, 
you're writing that uh, knowing that it's going to be rejected, right? Either it's going to be rejected by a magazine or an agent or a publisher, or even if all it's accepted by all those things, there's going to be a bad review. You, you know, even the best, you know, reviewed books in the world have negative reviews. So you're writing something that you know to a certainty is going to be rejected. Somebody is not going to mm -hmm. like it. Somebody is going to have uh, something, you know, negative to say about it. Uh, and you still have to have the, the confidence or the, you know, whatever, um, the, the gumption to sit down and, and write it anyway and complete the work and, uh, and put it out there. And if you can find a happiness in that, right, just find, find a piece in that process because that's the only thing that's in your control. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Faulkner said, uh, that, uh, the quote is, oh, uh, once a novel is written, that's one book the writer never has to read. Um, and because he knew, you know, once he was done writing, uh, you know, and editing his manuscripts, he, he said he never read his books because he, he didn't see any good that can come Man. from that. Uh, you know, he took pleasure in the process of, of making the work. And then once it was made, he didn't want to go back and because, you know, he didn't say this, but I suspect it's the same thing uh, that I would do if I went back and uh, nitpicked at my novel right now, I would tear it apart and, and, yeah. you know, it just feel terrible about it because right. that's what we do. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. So you have to balance right. that because you, know, you have to be brave and say, I'm going to put this out in the world while also part of your writer mind is going, this is not good. Um, <laughs> right. it'll never be good enough. So, right. right. This, this comes back. I'm, I'm hammering on this cause I, I really truly believe it's so important. This comes back to like the ethos of how writers write, of the podcast, of kind of everything that I've been doing, which is um, there's a lot of writers out there who know a lot about writing. Mm -hmm. They know how to plot, they know character, they know those kind of like uh, what details really clear. And the thing that's keeping them from writing and telling their story is not that they don't know how to plot. <laughs> the thing right. that's keeping them from telling their story is what we're talking about is, is a fear and or um a certain like the if thenism mm. is is crippling right so it's like sure. well i will if i get an agent or if i get a good idea or if 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 then i'll start writing or then i'll put something out um it, it's almost like a i think if then can provide some level of um of motivation, but it can also provide an incredible amount of detriment to the writer because sure. it gets so caught in like, I'm not going to move forward until right. a condition is met. The waiting it's on so hard, <laughs> the waiting on perfection, right? Like that's, right. you know, waiting on the motivation, waiting on perfection, that stuff can, can just absolutely, you're right. It can just cripple you, right? You mm -hmm. can, you can have an idea, but you, you want to wait until you get it a little more sorted in your head or, uh, you know, you want to sit down to write, but you want to wait till you have a little more time so that you can focus mm -hmm. on it. And, uh, and, and before you know it, you know, the weeks turn into months, turn into years. And, and that's, a, and that's a terrifying thought. And, and I certainly don't want to, you know, scare anybody uh, away from, from writing if they think they may want to get started. But, you know, for me, there's no, I can't not write, you know, mm -hmm. um, it, it's something that, that you have to do. And that's also kind of what's scary about it is, is, uh, you know, I, I know I have to do this, so I have to figure out how to do it well right. enough that I can continue to do it. Right. But, uh, right. but yeah, it's, right. it, Brian, your point is, uh, is spot on. Yeah. That's, I think one of the hardest things is just getting started, getting in the flow, um, because writing like anything else is, uh, 
you know, you, it's like working out, right? Like you, if you use a muscle over and over, that muscle gets bigger, it gets stronger. Mm -hmm. Um, it's the same thing with riding. If you, if you sit down and ride and you build up your, your riding stamina, you build up your riding discipline, um, all those things, you know, uh, are going to pay off in the long run, but it's just getting started, right? It's getting off the couch and going to the gym or it's, you know, uh, it's kind of the same principle. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like, like (laughs) sometimes this is met with a little bit of like, uh, you know, maybe this sounds too harsh and I don't mean it to be harsh. I mean, it's be inspiring and I mean it to be empowering really, which is like, you're never going to be in a better spot than where you are right now. And, and I know oftentimes, um, there's beliefs that there will be a better time. And that's just a, a really, uh, mischievous and hard to pin down fib. We tell ourselves to get yeah. out of taking action today. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know what? There may be, I think it's one of those things to where you can, uh, you can kind of get some, some folks can get lost in the technicality of that. There, in my opinion, there may be a better time, like a more ideal time, but not if you don't start now. Correct. Right. Right. So like if you start right. writing now right. and, you're, and you're struggling a little bit and you're only finding time to, to write once a week or, or whatever it is, um, you know, there may end up being a time down the road where you do have a little more time to write. But if you haven't started, what are the odds that you're going to go, oh, I've got a week off. I think what I'll do is is use this to write. Like that's, if you haven't started yet, it's very unlikely that you're going right. to make that decision then. So yeah. uh, I would say, you know, imagine if it's hard now, but you're still doing it. Imagine how great it'll be when that better time does right. come along, you know? Right. And any bit of forward momentum, anything. Like absolutely anything, 15 minutes a week. I've yet to meet somebody who is so busy that they don't have 15 minutes a week or 30 minutes a week or an hour a week. Like it's, it's like, I'm not saying, um, I'm certainly not saying you need to write every single day, three hours a day, or don't, don't even think about it. Right. The, the, what I'm saying is any amount of forward momentum is proving something to yourself you need yes. to believe, which is you are a writer and you have a story to tell and you can do it. Now, it may take a long time. That's okay. That's okay. What, what counts is one little step at a time. One little step at a time. One little so step true. at a time. One little step at a time. That's, that's really all it is, right? Okay, so let's, let's change gears a little bit because I literally could talk about this the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's change gears a little bit. This can be the first time we've talked in depth I've ever discussed on the podcast about getting an agent. So I I want you for the people out there who um, maybe haven't heard this before, haven't done their research. um, The general process, why don't you kind of go through and like, you know, big, huge steps. What is the pro, what did the process look for you? Like for you? And then what were a couple of like the big tips you wish you maybe would have known before you started this process that might've made your life a little bit easier. Gotcha. Um, Rain me in on this if you need to, because I've, <laughs> I, uh, I speak to uh, writing groups uh, about this topic. And so okay. uh, I'll try to keep it, though, at a, you know, at an aerial view. Um, the first things first, if you're a writer, it doesn't matter if it's fiction, nonfiction, uh, memoir, poetry, short story collections, whatever your project is, uh, before you even think about getting an agent, finish what you're working on. The, there is nothing an agent hates more than getting a query letter, which we'll talk about in just a second. And it sounds wonderful and they are so intrigued. And, uh, you know, maybe there's a sample chapter if that's something that, that the agent, uh, 
you know, has requested and they read it and they go, Oh my God, this is amazing. I cannot wait to, uh, you know, to sell this book for this author. And they say, okay, send me the full manuscript and you go, okay, it'll be done in four months. Like that's, that's just, Oh, it's a killer. Right. right. Um, and so, so just first things first, finish your work. And, and that in itself may sound simple, but we're writers, right? And so we, when is the work finished, right? right? Yeah, sure. We type the end and we have, the, it's, we have a plot and it's, and it's a complete plot, but is it really finished? Because maybe I could tinker with this chapter or maybe I want to change that paragraph. And so at some point you just have to say, okay, look, if I get an agent and if I get a book deal, this is going to be looked at by an editor. It's going to, you know, it's, it, there are other people that are going to see this. So just get it. If you can get it 85% or 90% of where you want it and it's coherent and has a beginning, middle and end, then send it to an agent because that's not going to be the difference between that agent accepting your manuscript or not. Right. If they see potential in your writing, potential in your story, um, if they think it's something that they could sell, it's not going to matter that five or 10% that might completely derail your project. If you, if you can't get over that hump of just letting go of it and, and hitting send, right. That's right. Now, now again, there maybe not everybody would agree with that, but that's just kind of what worked for me is if I didn't hit send when I did, then maybe I never would have. Um, and so the, the second huge thing is learn to write a great query letter. Um, there are classes you can take. There's, take a class. Yes, take a class. There are classes take you class. can take. Um, I took a class here <laughs> in Texas with the yes. Writers League of Texas. And because I didn't, I didn't even know, I had no idea, right? That mm -hmm. I knew what a query letter was, but I didn't know how it should be structured. I didn't know uh, what, what, what was a, a do and don't, you know, in the business. And so, uh, so I took a class here at Writers League of Texas with Becca Oliver, who used to be uh, a literary agent. And and that's it. That's all I did. I took one class um, and I took notes and I went and I said, okay, I'm going to take my novel and basically plug it, you know, a plug and play here of, of this uh, outline of a query letter. And then I sent that to some agents and that's essentially how, you know, how I got my agent. Um, and, and how did you find your, like, how did you find sure. a list of agents? I know a lot of people ask me like, I don't even know where to look. Like, where <laughs> sure. are these, where are these mysterious agents <laughs> hiding in the world? <laughs> there's a lot of ways that you can go about it. I don't know. Um, I, I won't say that anyone is, is the best way because you, you can, you can just Google literary agents and, and, uh, and find lists that way. And you can read pretty much every agent has something on their website that kind of says what works they like. You can look at who they represent and see, is it, is it somebody that, you know, you think their work is comparable to yours? Um, but outside, if you don't, you know, if you're not comfortable just Googling, uh, that kind of stuff, you can go, there's conferences every, I mean, well, maybe not so much right now, but, <laughs> but they're, well, they're on, they're moving online now, but there's still, right. there's, there's agents and, and editors conferences. There's writers conferences that have agents come, uh, as guests. And so you can get a little bit of FaceTime or a little bit of online, uh, virtual FaceTime with some of these agents and see if your personality clicks or, uh, you know, if they say something that, you know, really relates to you because that's the other thing is, you know, you can be a little picky, right? Even if you don't have an agent, you don't want to just sign with the first one right. uh, that, it, well, I mean, you might, if it's an awesome agent, but, but you don't have to is the point. And, uh, and so, yeah, there, the agents are out there. They want to find writers. Um, any agent that's, you know, currently accepting, uh, you know, new work means that they're in the market to, to find new clients. And, 
uh, and they, again, I think there's, there is a, a small but vocal contingency uh, that feels like agents are, you know, out to get writers. And while I'm sure there have been, you know, been instances where that's true for the most part, you know, these guys are on your side. They don't right. get paid in, until you get paid. They want you to succeed. They want to sell your book. They want to sell you, uh, you know, they, and, and they don't just want to sell your book. They want to sell your career most mm -hmm. of the times, because obviously the, the more successful you are, the more successful they are. Um, but each agent has their own uh, specific kind of request, right? So an agent might say, send me a query letter and a synopsis, and then I'll get back to you. They might say, send me the first chapter or the first 10 pages or the first five pages. Um, and so you really want to pay attention to that because the second thing, the first thing is that agents hate unfinished work. But the second thing is if you can't even follow the directions on their submission form, right. you know, then that's going to kind of turn them off to the potential of working with you. And so be sure that, you know, you kind of, if, and it can get a little annoying, right? You've just written this giant manuscript and you've edited it and you've done so many drafts and now it's finally ready and they're saying okay well we want the first you know 10 pages but we want it in this style and this format and that's not the style and format that you have it in so now you have to change that and then the next agent wants it a different way and so you change that look just have patience take a few days that's my uh, my wife and I my wife helped me tremendously uh, when it came to uh, submitting because she kind of had like a spreadsheet, right, of the different agents we wanted to query and what each uh, submission, you know, what they wanted from each submission. And so we kind of just worked our way through that and just took a day to kind of sit down and, and do that. Um, and then the other thing is agent may get back to you the next day. They may get back to you the next week, next month. I mean, these, you know, it just depends on where they are in terms of, uh, you know, what they have going on in their career. And so don't lose heart you know, if you don't hear from them and also don't keep following up, right? Cause that's, that's annoying. Um, so just, just let them get back to you when they do. And, uh, and then perhaps the most important thing for writers is if an agent says this work is not for us, believe them, right? Right. Believe, don't, don't think that they're just trying to blow you off by saying you're not a good writer. <laughs> right. Just believe them that, Hey, you know, they, they read your pages. It's not, it's either not the type of writing they represent or they really truly believe I can't sell this book as well as somebody else could potentially sell it. So just tell yourself that say, you know what, if an agent tells me no, then that wasn't the agent for me. Move down, just move down the list, uh, you know, and, and try somebody else because it only takes one. That's what, okay. that's what's so frustrating, but so great about writing. If you can get one agent to convince one publisher <laughs> that your novel is, is worth taking a shot on, you're about to be a published author, okay. right? And so that's the, the percentage success that you have to have for that to happen is very low because there's a ton of agents and a ton of publishers and everybody wants something mm -hmm. a little different. And you just have to find the person that, you know, that wants what you have. All right. So did you have to query a lot of agents in order to find the one that represents you? So it's interesting because I did query a lot of agents, but the, my agent is Mark Gottlieb with Trident Media Group and Mark was number one. So my wife okay. and I made two, two, separate, uh, <laughs> two separate lists, two separate spreadsheets. Mark happened to be number one on uh, both yeah. of our lists. And so and he also happened to be the agent that responded the quickest. And mm. so we had a really kind of tough decision to make because even though uh, Mark was our number one, he was also the first agent that responded. And did we really... Uh, and responded that he, you know, wanted to offer, uh, offer me representation. 
And so did we really want to go with the, you know, the first agent because right. you always hear, don't just go with the, you know, the first person, but we thought about it. You know, uh, I had met Mark at a, at a conference, uh, mm-hmm. really liked what he had to say. Uh, he has very impressive, uh, numbers on, in publishers weekly. He's consistently ranked near the top as is his agent, Trident, uh, media group, his agency. I mean, and, uh, and so ultimately we just went ahead and signed with Mark. And so that was interesting because we've signed, we actually signed with Mark and had a book deal within eight days of that signing. Jeez. And then we started getting rejections from other agents. Right. You're like that's fine. <laughs> yeah, sure. But it's also, <laughs> it wasn't, yes, it, it was, it was hard not to gloat, but, uh, but no, it was, a, it was an interesting teaching lesson, right. Yeah, for, right. for writers right. is that was just, that was just timing is all that was right. the fact that Mark had responded the fastest and the fact that he was able to uh, get us a deal that quickly, that was all just luck and timing. If he had been the last one to respond, right. Mm-hmm. And then you had all those rejections come in first Think about how disheartening each of those rejections would have been. I, I would get a rejection and I would kind of laugh like, oh, oh well, right. but that was only because we already, you know, had the, the deal in place. And so that's a really good example of if you get a rejection, don't lose heart. Don't, you know, think that, oh, I, now I need to go change everything about the manuscript. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's just, it's just kind of a good example of, of how timing can really uh, impact what you think about your own work and it shouldn't, you yeah. know, uh, if, if you, if you have confidence in your work, then just keep querying. And the other thing is if you never get that bite that you're looking for, that still doesn't mean that, that your work isn't good. Put it, you know, put it in the drawer, write something else. Eventually right. once your you know, once your career takes off, you can go back and you can tell a publisher, you know, when the publisher comes to you and says, Hey, do you have anything else you're working on? You can go, Oh, I've got a full manuscript, you know? Right. And so it's never, it's never a useless uh, thing, either career wise or just um, craft wise, right? Because whatever mistakes you made in that manuscript or whatever lessons you learned, you're going to take that into your next project. It's going to be even better for it. Yeah. I, I want to pause again. I keep pausing us, but I want to pause again because I think, I think you just mentioned something critically important in writing and it loops back. I'm like trying to get us back to like the super <laughs> philosophical conversation, but it oh, loops back to what, to what we were talking about, which is if you have set your, I will be happy when I get an agent as your goalpost. Yes. And for whatever reason, you can query hundreds and not get the response you want, right? It's, it's a fair statement to make. Sending your cold query out to zillions of agents can work. It can work, but can also not work for a myriad of reasons. But if you've Mm -hmm. made that your goalpost, you can be a wonderful, beautiful writer with a lifetime of stories to tell, but that moment can crush you, right? Which is, which is why it reinforces this idea that setting your goalposts on something that is within your control, you can't control an agent saying yes or no to you. You just can't. Absolutely. Reinforcing that your goalpost being like, I am here to tell stories. I'm here to write. And so like my goalpost is to write. This is, this is what I try and push people towards all the time because I feel like it's the only way to stay sane as yeah. a writer. You know, If your goalpost is to write, your goalpost is to tell stories and then the agents will come and go, the book deals will come and go when it's time and when it's ready. You have a lifetime of writing ahead of you and there's nothing that's going to stop that. Absolutely. Um, because it is a true statement that like Mark said yes and Mark is a, there's a half dozen agents that if they say, I want to represent you. That's pretty much you're good, right? 
um, Mark's in that camp. You know what I mean? Like a, like a very well-known, phenomenal, um, phenomenally successful agent. But outside of like him saying, yes, you could have gotten 40 no's and all of a sudden it's like the story is really different. You know, yeah, um, that's, I think that's it's important exactly to reinforce it. that. Yeah. Well, and also, uh, you know, folks should understand that what you're saying, which is absolutely correct, is also nuanced. We're not, we're not uh, saying that if you get a hundred rejections that you can't be disappointed, right? We're like, sure. you're, you're, you're a human, you have emotions. Sure. We're not saying that you have to jump out of bed, you know, after your hundredth rejection and go, oh my God, life is beautiful and I can't wait to write. <laughs> um, so, right. you know, so there is, there is some, some nuance there, but the, the overall point is, uh, is we're trying to keep you guys out of, we're trying to keep you out of like that dejection where you're like, where you don't want to write anymore. Right. right. Or, or where your writing starts to be really influenced by what you think an agent might want or, or something like that, which is also a dangerous thing. Right. right? Uh, I know, I know some writers who like to kind of surf agent websites, see what uh, those folks are looking for. You know, is there was uh, something a few years ago where, an agent tweeted, uh, we're really looking for uh, spunky grandmas as, as like the narrators, right? Like we want, we want like old feisty narrators. Um, and that's what that agent was looking for. And I had a writer friend of mine go, yeah, I think I'm just going to do it. I think I'm just going to write a, <laughs> I think I'm going to write a manuscript based off this one agent's tweet about spunky grandmas. And I was, and, and there was something that was just so, uh, you know, so comical about that, that, you know, it was funny, but at the same time, you know, don't do that. Right. right. Like in, right. unless you were going, you know, I think I've got a great idea for a, a book about a spunky grandma. And then you see that tweet and maybe that's what, you know, really jumpstarts you or whatever, but, uh, right. but don't, don't bend to, to what right. people want because in, in publishing, by the time that you've written your manuscript and, and the, <laughs> you got the agent and the deal and the book comes out, nobody's going to be thinking about spunky grandmas right, anymore. Right, right. You know, there's, there are so many uh, poor authors uh, that, that are sitting on piles of vampire uh, fiction because they wrote it during the vampire fiction craze. Uh, but by the time that they, you know, went to submit it, it was kind of, we were kind of past that, you know, and it was, right. it was almost like a Nickelback uh, type scenario <laughs> where it was, you know, a lot, a lot of people liked it, but now they won't ever admit that right. they did Right, right. Yeah. That was a tweet for serendipity, not like a challenge. <laughs> like, <laughs> like hopefully somebody out here has already done this. Like, yes, don't yes, start exactly. though. <laughs> exactly. So, so James, what now, okay, you've got your first book done. Like what, what comes next? What, what's next in the road for you? What is the uh, next season of life like? Okay. So this is, this is another good lesson <laughs> for writers because everybody says, well, uh, have you started writing your second novel uh, yeah. yet? Yeah. So I'm, I'm currently on my fourth novel. <laughs> so I signed a three book deal with Blackstone Publishing um, based on my first novel, um, which was in 2018 that we kind of made that uh, an initial agreement. And so in 2019, I turned in my second novel. And in 2020, I turned in my third novel just actually just last month. Out, and so, well, <laughs> cranking them out um and which is it's really good that i did that because uh my wife just gave birth to our uh first child oh, who was five weeks old and <laughs> so if i was trying to work on a novel right now and, and had a deadline that i was up against uh, that would be pretty brutal so i'm, oh, I'm glad that i kind of uh you know kind of got those out of the way but uh but that's the the lesson there or the the reality check there is in just how slow 
the publishing industry moves. So my second novel will come out June 8th of 2021. And I'll, you know, at that point, I'll hopefully be done with the fourth novel. And so right. just, it, it's a very, um, it's very sporadic in the timing of everything. Um, it's very, it's a lot of hurry up and wait, you know, you'll, you'll get a, a, yeah. a deadline on some, some little aspect of the novel that, that is pretty immediate, but then you're still a year away from publishing. And so there's, uh, there's kind of like a, a new reality that sets in uh, and, and is just now setting in because again, I'm, you know, this is my first novel that I've had published. So I'm, I'm still learning and seeing uh, a lot of how all this works about uh, advanced reader copies and blurbs and, you know, all these things. Um, but now that I've kind of, now that I've kind of absorbed all this, at least for the first go around, um, I think I'm a little more informed. I'll be a little less anxious uh, yeah. for the second book to come out and then the third. And so what I'm working on right now, um, is my fourth novel, but I have a little more time to do it. Um, we've been doing a lot of marketing with the first book, which, you know, I don't mind saying here, it's just awful. It's miserable. <laughs> like the market, like just to, to, to promote self-promotion, especially yeah, during, yeah. you know, with everything that's going on, it just feels so disgusting, you know? <laughs> Um, it's like, hey, everybody, please, uh, please wear a mask, please social distance and stay safe because this is a really serious global pandemic and also Black Lives Matter. And we have to have this really important conversation about racial, racial injustice uh, and also buy a book from me, <laughs> but for, buy, buy, a, buy a, a literary Western by a white guy. Um, so, you know, it just, it's, it's not ideal timing, um, but, but yeah. no, the, uh, I think the next chapter in my life is, uh, is really up in the air kind of as everybody's is right now, because we don't, uh, here in Texas, you know, I know that in New York, you guys, uh, you know, were hit hard early on yeah. here in Texas. We're, uh, our number, we're setting a record every day for, uh, for, yeah. for new cases. Um, we opened up, uh, <laughs> arguably way too soon. Um, yeah. and so, uh, so yeah, we're, we're kind of in the throes of our, the biggest part of our, uh, coronavirus crisis. And, uh, you know, we have the new baby and so we're kind of extra hypersensitive, uh, about all this. And so I'm trying to write, I'm trying to create, um, and the other kind of stipulation, and this goes back to kind of the industry, uh, is so my three book deal with my publisher is essentially up right i've written three manuscripts they've accepted those three manuscripts and while of course i'll still work with editors and cover designers and the books will still you know will not uh the third one will come out in 2022 um as far as the fourth novel i'm working on it doesn't have a home mm. unless i were to go to my publisher and try to sell it you know on the strength of a sample chapter or something like that which you can you know again i said you have to finish your work to find an agent if you have a publisher, then oftentimes you can, you know, uh, sell them, you know, pitch them your next novel without it being complete. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to get to that point because I do love my publisher and, uh, you know, want to want to stick with them. And so that's the other thing. If I would have to finish this novel, if I were going to have my agent then go and try to sell it to a different right. publisher, wow. right? Because they don't know who I am. Um, right. And so, right. Right. Uh, so yeah, just some more little industry tidbits there, but, uh, but to, to bring it back to just writing in general, I've heard this from a lot of writers that it's really hard to uh, create right now. Just yeah. with, with so yeah. much going on. Um, for me, I haven't found that in terms of like the, the outside influence. Um, if anything, it's, it's making me want to push further into the writing just to block everything else out. But 
with the birth of my daughter, I've had to sacrifice uh, willingly a lot of uh, a lot of time. Yeah. And so I haven't had uh, the routine has been very I'm a very routine person. And the routine, the writing routine has been completely blown to shit. Um, <laughs> so, you know, now it's now it's dirty diapers and, and poorly sung lullabies and uh, yeah. watching, uh, you know, uh, the wire reruns at four in the morning and, <laughs> you know, trying to rock my daughter to sleep. But, right, uh, right. but no, but it's but it's been a beautiful thing. And I guess that's the other thing is never in my life has uh, writing taken such a, a back seat. Uh, you know, to, it's, it's, it kind of shows you what, you know, really is important and, right. and hopefully helps with what we were talking about, about living in the moment and, and not, you know, tying your, your happiness uh, as a writer or as a person to, uh, to external forces. Yeah. Well, first, congrats on the newborn. Thank you, sir. Uh, you, you are remarkably coherent for <laughs> having a five-week-old. Uh, I, I know when my first daughter was born, um, those first few months, I remember thinking distinctly, I will never write another sentence for the rest of my life. Like it will never happen. I'll never write it. And uh, so the fact that you're here and talking, you know, your face looks nice, is not a big bag, you know, uh, is, is wonderful. Um, and, and, and it, I, I think you're right. Like, like um, th- there is when when you dimensionalize writing, it, it's really nice, you know, to have other things that it butts up against. And f- and for, you know, children, I think are are wonderful. But you know, some people don't have kids, and so th- there's all sorts of things that also have value in our life that. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think sometimes we're afraid we'll take away from our creative self or take away from writing. I have found on the things, children, um, you know, my wife you know, different parts of my health, like that, that's kind of in that like sphere of really, really critical and important to me. Those things, when I deeply invest in those things, um, I become a better version of myself and therefore a better writer. Absolutely. And so, and so there, there's a weird kind of like symbiosis there that forms where um, even though you might have less time and your routine is destroyed and, you know, as your daughter gets older, there'll be all sorts of, you know, craziness that comes along with that. <laughs> right. Um, my, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, a, a little ahead in season wise with, with my kids, but, um, it certainly, it, it matures you with, with those extra things that yeah. help your writing life. They don't detract, which I think is a really beautiful part of being a person. It's, it's good Absolutely. that it's that way. You know? And you make a good point, uh, about not just those big, uh, you know, things that don't have to do with writing, but every almost every little decision. I mean, if, mm-hmm. if you really wanted to, to get into it, um, you know, you talk about your health. Okay. Well, what are, you know, there's so much research out there about food that's good for your brain. Right. You know what I mean? About, about food that gives you energy. Um, you know, if you exercise, you're going to have more energy there. There are so many ways. And all that goes back to writing because if you're feeling lethargic and you're feeling, uh, you know, mentally foggy, then you're going to be much less likely to a even sit down to write or b if you actually do get there the words aren't going to come as easily your thoughts are going to be you know it's a little harder to pull out of your your head and so you know I'm not saying that you have to devote every breath of your life to uh you know to to uh, making the perfect writer like it's a you know some kind of uh, you know chemistry experiment but but there are uh, things that you can pay attention to that have nothing to do with writing seemingly that actually really affect, uh, you know, how, uh, how efficient you're able to, you know, maintain a a workload. Right. Yeah. It's funny you say that. Um, 
the, the how right is right is actually going to start doing a pretty hard pivot in this next season, next 30 to 60 days into connecting the relationship of our body to the writing process and really highlighting that that's something I've been really passionate about for a long time is how the body can be a tremendous ally to writers and, and can teach you things and can give you energy, but also can access emotions and, and has a stored story. Try saying that five times fast (laughs) stored story within it that that is tremendously powerful it's not writing just isn't done with our head said another way right it's done with our entire being our body being a representation of that so boy where where were you three or four years ago brian i (laughs) i could have i could have used a few of your classes i think uh only all right so uh, sir i'm sorry to say this but it's true we have reached the time the top of the hour (laughs) <laughs> well, it's time for me to ask you the final four questions. So I know you okay. listen to the podcast and you know what these questions are. For whatever reason, if this is your first episode listening to the <laughs> podcast, I'm going to tell you that these are the same four questions I ask every single writer. And I love it. It's, it's almost always one of my favorite parts. The answers are always varied. And it highlights, the, the reason I do this is because it highlights diversity. Like we are all, uh, our, our unifying trait is we're all writers. We all love to tell stories. After that, we have incredible diversity and that is to be celebrated, which is why I asked these questions because it's a baseline to hear all of the different answers and they're all great answers, right? And so with that said, let us dive into the first question, which is if you had to, I love this question, if you had to pick a spirit book. And so this is a book that like Sometimes I say if you died and were reincarnated, you'd be reincarnated as this book. It can be a book that you think defines you the best. It's just a book that you're like, this has an incredible resonance to me. I'm going to add an asterisk asterisk to this, which is cannot be your book. Okay. What book would it be? God bless anybody that had to be reincarnated as my book. Um, You know, so anybody that's ever heard or read an interview uh, with me knows that I am a Cormac McCarthy fanatic. Uh, I think he's our greatest writer. I don't, I don't really think it's a close race. But uh, so I wanted to pick a, a Cormac McCarthy book for the answer to this question. And in a, a quote uh, comes to me. I don't know if it was Thomas Wolfe. It was, it was one of the, one of the, uh, the fathers of American fiction. They said we. We are, we are the characters we are. And what that, what that means for this question is I really wanted to pick All the Pretty Horses because it's just got this romanticism and this yeah. poetic, uh, you know, the, this almost nobility, you know, to, to the characters and right and wrong. Uh, but I, I'm not going to pick that because it would be dishonest. Um, I, am of, uh, I am much closer to Suchery uh, from Cormac McCarthy. And I think the reason uh, is, is I think Suchery is a uh, rambling longing of a novel, right? It's just, it, it's, it, it follows, uh, you know, Cornelius Suchery as he basically just walks around uh, Knoxville and in the Smoky Mountains. And, and he has this, this longing that we don't even know what it is. We, we, we can't, and we never learn what it is, but he obviously has something that's, uh, that's kind of eating at him and he, he's, he's an observer of the world 
uh, of both its pain and beauty and suffering, but without understanding it, without, uh, well, with understanding that he can't understand it, that, mm -hmm. that he'll never understand it. Um, and so he just does his best to, to, uh, to make of it what he will. And so I think that's, I think if I were, I think that's my spirit book. I think if yeah. I were reincarnated, I would hope to come back on the plains of, uh, of Mexico as, you know, as a horse, uh, <laughs> as a horse worker, but yeah. I think I would probably end up in a, in a houseboat on the, uh, on the Tennessee river, just yeah. drinking and fishing with, with Sutri. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting you picked that book because I think it's one of his absolute underrated novels. It's one yeah. of his most reflective, like, you know, a lot of Cormac McCarthy is, is going to beat you over the face with the theme. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I for mean, sure. And it almost is as, as if it's from a different writer. Like it's just a very different tone and pace. And, you know, the well, level got, of violence got, is incredibly different. Than, yeah, you know what I mean? It's, like, it's got comedy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, we're, we're, and there are some comical moments in other McCarthy, but it's not anywhere close to that. It's, uh, it's, I've, it's a little autobiographical. Um, he wrote it as he was getting sober. And so a lot of folks uh, think it was kind of his farewell to mm -hmm. that life. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, and that's the other thing about McCarthy is most writers will, will tell you exactly what, uh, you know, they were thinking or what they were doing uh, for certain books. But since he's given, you know, what, two, three interviews ever, uh, Satri doesn't come up to your point. Right, you know, everybody right. wants to ask him about the road or all the pretty horses right. or, or something. But, uh, but yeah, I, just, I, I love that novel. I love all his novels, but I think that, uh, even though that's not the novel I aspire to in terms of spirit book, right. I think that if I was being honest, that's, that's probably where I'd land. <laughs> okay. All right. Question number two, is there a specific tool can be anything at all that you absolutely must have to write? there's really not. And I wanted to have like a really cool writer answer for this. Like, Oh, there's a, there's a totem that my grandfather gave me from, you know, the Korean war. Uh, but no, there's, you know, uh, the majority of my writing is done on a laptop, uh, in an office or, or in our, uh, camper when we're traveling. But, uh, but I still, you know, I'll go to the woods with a pad and a pencil and, and I can write like that. I can go to the bar, the coffee shop in that long ago world that was uh, February um, and, and actually be out, you know, among people. But, but when I write in public, I kind of, I tend to get a little distracted and I don't know if that's an ego thing. Like I can feel, you know, like, what, what do I look like while I'm <laughs> typing or something? Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, for me, it's just, it's, it's just about being still and, in silent it's you know i don't listen to a lot of people who listen to music i can't listen to music uh i just have to be still and quiet and and have that space and and then i can write that's it that's love like it. the it's the most boring answer ever no but it's no i love it i love it i absolutely <laughs> love it okay question number three how do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life we talked about this kind of you know uh th that was kind of the theme of this uh, this right. conversation uh so you know, actively I do, you know, meditate, go on hikes. Uh, before I was a father, I, I used to work out. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I think the biggest thing is what we talked about earlier, which is just, I try not to um, tie my emotions to the ups or the downs, right? So if, if things are up, I try not to let myself float away. And if things are down, I try to remind myself just how privileged I am to, to be able to to write. Um, and I think that we, you know, we can do that 
I'm, I'm a full-time writer, but even before I was a full-time writer, if I was struggling, you know, with, uh, with the words, I would just remind myself like, this is really cool and really fun what we're doing, you know? And, and like we said earlier, it's really hard, right? It takes a leap of faith. And so you just, you just have to be kind to yourself. Um, you know, this is, you strike that balance between discipline, forcing yourself to, you know, sit down and, and get to work and also just being kind to yourself and uh, cutting yourself a, a little slack. So again, it's all nuanced and the answer is usually somewhere in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fourth question. If you could give one piece of advice to new writers, what would that be? This is going to sound a little harsh, but only writing is writing. All right. So um, you don't want to, you don't want to, I don't want to discourage people from going to conferences and workshops and being in writing groups. Certainly reading is super important, but at the end of the day, the only thing that in my opinion, that, uh, that separates writers from non-writers, it's not if you've been published, it's not if you've, uh, you know, gotten good reviews or, you know, whatever it's, uh, it's if you write, I mean, that's it. So, so as important as all those other things can be and is uh, beneficial and beneficial and useful as all those can be, it really just, if you sit down and write, then you're a writer and, and call yourself that too, by the way, because it's very empowering, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I had a lot of people that were older and wiser than me when I was first starting out say, you know, oh, so you're a writer and I, well, I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not a writer. Right, right, They're like, right. no, no, call, if you're writing, then call yourself a writer and, 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 you know, give yourself that, uh, that power and that encouragement. And so that's, I think that's a big, my one piece of advice is sit down and write and call yourself a writer. I love it. I love it. So wonderful. Well, James, thank you so much for your time and congratulations on so many things. Your first published novel happening like within a month of your first child. Uh, it's so wonderful. It's been so great to talk to you. I really enjoyed um, this conversation and just your, your, your soul, like your spirit. You have such like a, a warmth to you that I just, I just oh, uh, man, I appreciate feel very... that. This was so much fun. And I'm honestly, the time flew by, man. I could have done this all day. Same here. Same here. Well, thank you again. And um, one last thing, where can people find you if they want to like dig into more to James? Where, what's, what's the place? Um, yeah. I am active on all the uh, terrible uh, social medias. We got uh, James Wade at James Wade Rider on Instagram, uh, James Wade uh, author on Facebook. And then my website is just jameswaderider.com. Okay. All right. Well, thank you again. And until we speak again. Thank you so much, okay. Brian. Thank you again to James for his time. If you haven't yet, please take a moment and rate and review us on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at instagram.com slash how writers write. And I want to say a special thank you to all of you listeners, and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful week of writing.